And we're back. It's the Lanky Guys. You're listening to The Word in the Hill. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Musset. And, um, you know, Scott, you and I were just uh, having a conversation. Yes, we were. And um, about how how we used to leave unique uh, answering machine messages. Answering machines, in college in particular. Oh, man. There was something, there was an art to... Setting up your college answering machine, dude. You know when that it's, this generation doesn't understand. You know what? It, it, when it started for me, when is uh, the uh, when you got was a an, phone? There was an infomercial that you could buy <laughs> all of those um, those uh, like special answering machine messages, and they had like a rap one, and they were like, "Oh, dude, I don't remember that." With a K. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Scott had an awesome one. I used to give advice on my answering machine. You did, yeah. And texting has ruined it all. Texting is ruined. And not having a physical answering machine. There's something about, you know, you got to push the button and speak into the thing. And Dude, you know how- We sound like such old men right now. Yeah. Do you know- what, kids. One of the coolest technologies. Do you, you remember care. that you, don't you care. could- You are just moving on. You could um, <laughs> call in- to your uh, answering machine for the advanced ones and put in a code and it would play it back over the phone for you. Did you have one of those? That was too fancy for me. No, dude, that was the next level, dude. You fancy kids. You fancy east side of Denver kids. Hey, man, East Denver bringing it on. Well, we are into the, the, uh, the poor kids in Boulder. <laughs> the <bow. laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. We're in the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. We are. And, uh, it, and we, we're back together. That was fun last week. We did a, a broadcast with the Liturgical Institute and the Liturgy Guys. Um, I just want to give a shout out to those guys and thanks for having us on their show and to um, met some folks at the biblical conference at Mundelein Seminary and we had some listeners there. Um, so that was really fun. So just a shout out to all of you guys who were at the, the summer scripture conference at Mundelein Seminary. Dude, I wish I, wish I could have gone. It was fun. I was there pretty quick. I was, you know, you, one hear, day. Yeah, hearing, hearing But that go. is a beautiful campus. Have you ever been to Mundelein? Uh-uh. I had never actually been there. It's um remarkable. It's huge and wooded and it's like a castles on lakes and it's oh i'll just show you some pictures it was it's a remarkable place i've heard about it's the, beautiful the, the beauty uh, the the legendary beauty it is legendary so anyway um, so here's to mundelein here's to mundelein and uh, today and today we're going for july 8th which is uh blessed pierre giorgio Fusati's day is it yeah. july 8th i didn't uh realize that yeah he's still blessed right he's not he, saint yet yeah, yeah blessed a, yeah he needs more miracles so many of my favorite saints have actually transitioned from blesseds to saints you know what I mean? Yep. That I, I'm having a hard time keeping up. And maybe it's just one. Maybe it's just Kateri Tekawitha, who's now Saint. Saint Tekawitha. B- blessed Frasadi. And is Mother Teresa a saint or a blessed? She's saint. She, I always forget. Yeah, yeah she was they, a quick one. They just, yeah, no, they just like, they're like. Fast track. Yeah, they're like, we're not going to mess around with this one. <laughs> All right, so it's the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. I I should, I wish I would have been thinking about these in terms of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasadi. I wonder if there's some. Some mileage there. Oh, we'll, we'll find just, out as we we'll, go. We'll figure it out. Well, our first reading is Ezekiel 2, 2 to 5. The call of Ezekiel. Zeke. All right. Uh, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm number 123, verses 1 through 2, 2 again, <laughs> and then 3 through 4. Oh, dude, look at it. It's 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 2, 3, 4. What? 1, 2, 2, 3, 4. Yeah, it's just like, well, it's a lot of... We're just pausing on two. Patterns, yeah. And the response itself it's, is from it's 2, a, C, and D. It's a stutter. It is a stutter. It's a liturgical one, stutter. One, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> it's a liturgical <laughs> stutter. All right. Second uh, Corinthians twelve seven to ten. Seven to ten. And our gospel is coming from Mark chapter Mark chapter six verses one through six. Man, last week was a long one. 
Dude, you ain't. Let's be honest. You ain't kidding at all. That was a beast. But this one's not. This is very short. Yep. Which I, is my only point of yeah, reference. Which I think is really funny because, well, because we had a Mark and Sandwich last week. You didn't hear me preach. No, I heard Father Sean. Yep. And who I, was wonderful. He was awesome. And I, uh, I. And we didn't do a full bodied, full fledged podcast on it. You know what I mean? So we just touched on it in the liturgical podcast. Right. And so, yeah, I went, I went with, uh, I went with the uh, meaning of suffering, and or, or like the the uh, how oh we're, we're all we are actually sufferings um, are meaningfully for each other because of the twelve year old. But we're oh not my. talking about that today. No, we're not. So um, Ezekiel, dude, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, Zekel Deekel. That's what his that's what his friends called him. Zekel Deekel. Zekel Deekel. Name the reference a, that I just am making. I have no idea. Ziggy Piggy. Oh, Ziggy oh, oh, um piggy. hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. It's Napoleon eating it's, the ice cream. Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh, what a great movie. <laughs> what a great movie. I know, man. I've been Ziggy Piggy. Ziggy Piggy. Oh my gosh. Zekel Deekel. Wow, you really that delighted my heart, yeah, man, in a way that it shouldn't have. Hey, <laughs> all right. Um, that I woke up. Okay, this is a true story that has nothing to do. I, I don't <laughs> with anything. I woke up hearing the voice of George Carlin in my head. This was a couple <laughs> days ago, saying, "Always remember, the clock in San Dimas is always running." No, no, I that I swear to you. A couple days ago, I woke up with those words. Oh my god! Remember, the clock in San Dimas is always running. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, but there it is, dude. That's like, that's really that's amazing. I actually feel like there was something mystical. There's something. About that. Something's up. All right. <laughs> that being said, dude, this is the this is the extravagance of our God is that He will use George Carlin <laughs> yeah. speaking to your the yeah. inner soul, the oh. inner man. Yep. Just letting yeah. me know the clock, clock is ticking back dude, in San Dimas. So the call, dude, this the, the call, call of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah, this is moment number one, and basically this is the this, so it's the equivalent of uh, Isaiah six. Remember Isaiah, where so each of the each of the major prophets, I think. So well, at least Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel have um, these set aside portions of the text where it talks about their specific call. Which are actually really significant moments. Remember when Ezekiel or when Isaiah rather is caught up to the throne room of God in Isaiah six? Yep. And the you know the 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 angel takes the little you know charcoal briquette briquette off the barbecue and touches it to his lips and stuff. Which and then the Isaiah, worst barbecue you have ever been to. It was the to. worst bar. Well, it healed him. It did. So I mean, there's something that I, I mean. I I tried that with hurt. my buddy, and it was a little different. <laughs> no, you didn't. I know. All right. Um, as uh, Jeremiah, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I know the plans I have for you, all these things. Ezekiel is kind of the darkest, I suppose, <laughs> because he's like, all right, I'm going to send you. Well, they're all pretty dark, to be honest with you. All of the call, and this is this is the mark, I think, of one of the major prophets. The call is embedded with a warning. So one of the things that... Um, I talked about it at the conference in Mundelein. The conference was on the role of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Mm. And um, I was talking about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. And one of the things I, I tried to hit on was how remarkable it actually is that in the Old Testament, I mean, if you look through the Old Testament, the Spirit is present a lot. Yeah. And you have the Holy Spirit showing up. It's not a New Testament reality. But the Holy Spirit will fall on individuals, kings or prophets, Ezekiel in this case, usually in the case of them having to do something really, really hard. Oh, and then will yes. depart. And then, you know, it'll move on to something else. There's that key moment when the uh, the spirit departs from King Saul when he kind of begins to go off the rails and it, it goes in and rests on David as if 
as if the spirit, you know, there's it's it's this quantitative thing. It's like a zero sum game. There's one spirit, and you know, okay, now it's going to be over here, and now he's going to move on over here, and once it leaves this person, then that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit because he has to go over here. But then we have this New Testament reality of we actually get the same sort of call as all of the kings and the prophets with the Holy Spirit dwelling upon us to give us the strength to do all the difficult things that we're going to do, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us in perpetuity, which was beyond anything anybody ever dreamed. Because right. the idea was, oh man, if you're getting the Spirit resting on you, look out because things are going to get hard really soon. Well, and when this is the thing why I wish they wouldn't have cut out verse number one, because verse number one, it says, and he said to me, son of man, stand upon your feet I and I will too. speak to you. Yeah. And then it says, and the Spirit came upon me and took me and lifted me up and caused me, me to step my feet. on my feet. Yeah. And I heard him speaking to me. But it, because what happens yeah. is, that, is that we begin an imbalanced thing. It says, like, because this is, I think, the action of the Spirit in our lives. The action of the Spirit says, hey, do this. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then the Spirit's given to you to be able to do that. Yeah. Like, in a certain sense, it's like... um you feel a call and you feel incapable in the face of the call, but then the spirit provides for what is necessary. Yes. And you don't actually know that the spirits in like, it, like it, it, in a certain sense, by just going to verse two, mm. it kind of sounds like, and the spirits stood me up. It's like, no, no, the spirit prepared you yes. to, to get to a place where it was going to be, you're like, oh mm. man, am I going to do this? Yeah. It'd be, and, and, mm. and it goes to that call that you're talking about right there. Yeah. Well, and, and so let's look at what the call actually is. So Ezekiel's unique among the prophets, among among this this kind of category of prophets. The, the, I suppose you could put him in the category of prophets sent to Jerusalem who are speaking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. So again, he fits in the category with Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah, and, and he's a little bit of a contemporary with Daniel. They're close to each other, but Ezekiel is unique because while Ezekiel is going to be called to basically go and, and to tell Israel how much they stink and how rebellious they have been. What's the, this line I love? Rebels who have rebelled, which is just a great visceral line, right? Oh, it's the it's the best. Um, but, but in a large part, he's actually doing it in hindsight. So they will have watched Jerusalem get destroyed and obliterated and hauled off into exile. And it's Ezekiel's job to tell them basically what happened. Here's why you're here. So Isaiah and Jeremiah are more on the front end saying, okay, this is coming. Beware, turn back, don't let it happen. Ezekiel is really going to be dealing with the back end. Okay, it's happened. Now you're in exile. Now what should you do about it? And we're going to find out that even on the other side, even in hindsight, people are still going to reject him and rebel because we don't like to be punished. You know, we don't like, it's like a little kid who will not receive his punishment, you know. You're, you don't get to have de- dessert tonight or whatever, you know, just the constant rebellion, yelling back and the obstinance toward God um, well, well, listen wanting to, the, to correct them. Listen to this. The, the Greek word is uh, parapakareno. Uh, par para, para, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is actually means to embitter alongside. Wait, what, what word are we talking to, about? To rebel. To rebel. Uh, the re- rebels who are rebelling. Are ones who are making bitter alongside of each other. Yes. Oh, misery loves company. Misery right? loves company. Bitterness loves company. It does. Company. Company. But no, I mean, like, I just because I was like, I was like, what is rebellion? What mm. What does this actually mean to be a rebellious person or or to be in rebellion? It's to make bitter alongside is the Septuagint uh, mm. translation, which you is know, so powerful. There's thing. something to that because there, there's there's 
one way of looking, you know, you can look at the, I keep mentioning Isaiah and, and uh, Jeremiah. There's one way of looking at rebellion and obstinance as though, you know, you need to change what you're doing. You need to stop and turn around from this direction. We can be obstinate and not listen to that. But one of the things that humans love to do is to be in the midst of a suffering or in the midst of feeling like we've been slighted or hurt or that we know better than something. And we love to sit around and gripe about it, right? Yes. We love to look at what we perceive as a wrong or some way that we've been slighted and rally the other troops and get everybody on board and be like, can you believe that this happened? Like, how dare so-and-so or how dare the church do this or how dare father preach you know in that way or whatever it is like we love doing that so you almost get the sense that even though the exile's already taken place there's almost a greater danger now to look back on the exile and actually grow in more and more embittered at god right and grow this deeper hatred because now we can rally around we can be next to each other what what was it again uh, to, to a bitter along the bitter para para with, alongside parallel yeah yeah parallel to, to make bitter alongside. To make bitter alongside, which is such a human experience, right? We wow. love doing this. And that's we how love we... finding a common enemy that we can just rally against. No, yes. oh, we hate that. It's... Which is what Ezekiel's job is to say, don't do that. Absolutely. This was for your good. Here's what God's intention was. And then God gives this pretty ominous warning. He's like, well, whether they heed you or resist you, whether they listen to you or totally reject you, one thing they're going to know is there was a prophet among them. And he's like, oh, okay. But you, <laughs> Yay. But, but what I love, if you keep reading in chapter two, yep. is, yeah, is, is here he is, because he himself could become bitter against the people. Oh, absolutely. And, and so he has a warning to him saying, mm. lest you become rebellious as well. Yep. Don't become contemptuous. Right, which is going to be a really easy temptation for somebody like Ezekiel. Because he's been Who's given totally this alone huge as well. thing. Who's given a huge thing, who's going to be pretty lonely in it. Yes. Because the, the everybody, I mean, to be the one, translate it to however you want. Be in your workplace, you know, in your church, in your family, whatever it is. To be the one voice that's like, hey guys, maybe we should stop complaining about that thing. Right. You know, to actually be in your workplace and be like, can we stop bad-mouthing, you know, the manager or whatever? You know, it's... It's not really productive, which is such a smaller level than actually speaking against, you know, the sovereign God. But even in those situations, it's so hard to be the one voice. It's like, guys, this is kind of destructive. Let's stop doing this. Oh, maybe is. let's look at it from the other person's point of view. Nobody wants to hear that. So on a small level, but then translated to Ezekiel's huge level. And, you know, Ezekiel, if anybody, probably also had reason to be like, yeah, this does stink. I wouldn't mind sitting around and griping a little bit. Like, this is a little bit, um, you know, it's cathartic to get to complain about something. But he's like, right. no, not you. You are set apart. Your job is something other than that. Your job is to be the light to these people. And whether they listen to you or not, they're going to know you were a prophet. Yes. Which is not necessarily a good thing. Yes. Which is one of the things we're going to see when we get to the Gospels. And the message that it goes on, and he's the message that he eats is going to be sweet in his mouth. Eat the meat. Eat, Eat the, the sweet message. The sweet message, which is isn't that isn't that like kind of? I think that we live in in, a, in an age politically where mm. we wish we could just say the thing to shut the other person down. Oh you yeah, know what I'm saying yeah, absolutely. V versus saying like, no, I'm going to actually respect and honor and work with. What's happening? I mean, so the, the, that's the that's just the the trickiest part. He says, you know, like, 
and whether the heater resists their rebellious house, you're still going to have to say this, whether or not it's going to have effect. Your job is not effect, but faithfulness to the message itself. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to add a bunch more on that, but I, I did a little session with the, the staff at Camp Foytiwa who are in between programs right now, and I, I actually don't like calling it apologetics because I, I like apologetics in principle, but I feel like the way that we've started as Catholics to use apologetics is we just want to cherry pick some verses or some quotes to throw at somebody else to shut them up, right? That's apologetics, which is not what apologetics is supposed to be. It's that line from Paul, right? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. That's what apologetics are when the world is like, well, why don't you agree with us on that? Like, why do you guys believe these things on, on human sexuality or contraception or whatever it is? Oh, it's because we have this hope built within us about who we actually are. But to actually try, what's that, what's that exercise, right? If you really disagree with somebody on something, if you feel strongly about a particular point, spend a day trying to think of all the arguments against yourself then you'll be prepared to enter into a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you. Absolutely. Because you can actually see it from their point. The ability to see something from someone else's point of view and still disagree with them and still actually see the truth, that's, I mean, there's a mark of intelligence there of being able to actually accomplish that, which we can't do. And so for Ezekiel to be like, look, I see where you guys are coming from. This is really hard. I'm living in the midst of it because it's really easy to want to evangelize the world, but try to be completely apart from it. And we should be in the world, but not of it. But at the same time, to not try to appreciate, wow, how would someone be led in such desperation to get an abortion? Like, how could you actually come to that point? I want to understand that while I disagree with it. I want to understand how a young woman could actually feel that desperate and feel the pain of that. Then we can have a conversation about it. You know what I mean? What would it be like to feel like I'm not... A the, man. A I'm, man, even though I'm biologically. What would what is the pain of the cross of carrying that? How does that feel? Now I can have a conversation about that. Absolutely. Now but we don't know how to do that. Or we don't like doing it, maybe. Yeah, well, because we're so polemicized and we're so afraid of we're so afraid of actually engaging on either on either side of hot button yeah. social issues now right. because like because we don't know how to have a dialogue and like there's right. I, I you know you can watch some of the political pundits and mm. and like what happens is that they don't have a desire to actually have a dialogue no and and this is the thing is that they say 60% of communication is nonverbal so if you don't actually have a desire then what you're doing is you're manifesting your thoughts through your expressions absolutely. and your body language absolutely and so you, you can see what I'm listening to you right now yeah you actually your eyes are open your your brow <laughs> is forward your tongue is hanging out there's <sighs> drool coming down your face and your nose is running it's pretty Come on, weird man, man. i just wanted to paint a picture of so gross everybody's like what the <laughs> what's going about? on in the Sorry, podcast your... <laughs> <laughs> this is... you were making a really good point yeah, I derailed you, you did. this is what it feels like to be you yeah i know it, that, 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 see you're walking in my shoes you're, i'm you're walking empathi- in your you're shoes. empathizing, I'm with, empathizing me. with you i'm helping it's, you it's very hard <laughs> to have those things. Oh. Uh, no but rather than than to say like no it's actually a spiritual quality to want to have dialogue yeah and and, and not in a, and i'm not meaning like spiritual in the sense of this is how i'm relating to god it means that my affect my personhood hmm. is literally my mind is actually open to the person in front of me to right. entertain 
the experience of another person without just the desire to shut them down. And that's why I think that your, your idea about apologetics is just this, this uh, special way to shut somebody down. It's like, no, I actually want to keep the conversation going. I want to, I want to continue this so that we can get to something that, that, a baseline of relationship and then advance and transform rather than the violence of, of some sort of, cause, cause when people do that to us, it's the most upsetting because oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's super closed. And maybe it's because we're afraid we will be persuaded to something that we think is untrue. Maybe there's a deep fear of that. But what if I can't do it right? And what if they do convince me otherwise? I was listening to some, I was watching some video on Facebook and it's, it's, it's this person, I'm not going to say his name. It's some figure, you know, in the, in the media, social media world, you've probably all seen him floating around. And I was listening to what he was saying. He was having a, a debate dialogue. I don't know what you'd actually call it with somebody about abortion. And I was listening. And I was like, I agree with almost everything. I agree with you almost to 100%. I probably agree with you 97% of everything you're saying, but I hate the way you're doing it. And you're coming off like such a jerk. And even though I agree with you, I don't want to listen to you anymore because right. you're just trying to make this other person look like an idiot. Right. And I'm sure the video went viral and everyone's like, yeah, you shut him down. And that's awesome. We shut the abortionist down, which is really not what any of us are after. We're trying to change the hearts of people. So, yeah, that's great. You can shut somebody up. Woo. That's actually not the work of evangelization then. But no. you can do it with truth, right. which is one of the most diabolical things, right? To actually use truth to not do the work of God. Right. Anyway. We should move on. Which so much we could which say. Which actually is a really good. For it's actually my, a great my, segue. My interest in in Psalm one two three, <laughs> one two three, um, one two three four five six seven and nine ten so eleven twelve, thirteen fourteen. Do you know another reference? I do, but I can't come up with it. Yeah, nobody can. Anyway, um, Psalm one two three. The uh, I think it's really cool. It's like okay, it, it goes through male male servants, female servants, and. So it says, uh, as the eyes of the servants on the hand of their masters, as the eyes of the maids are on the hand of her mistress. So, our, uh, so men and women are both looking at God mm. with the uh, longing for pity. So w- w- this is so okay. this is so interesting to me. Okay, so it's saying that, okay, w- what's our relationship to God as men and women? We are God's servants. Okay, because the last line, "Have pity on us, Lord, have pity on us." For we are more than sated with contempt. Okay, actually, sated is a terrible translation. <laughs> we, are, we are filled. It's just simple. Filled, yeah. We are more than filled with contempt. I kind of like sated. Because there's this implication of like, we're saturated with it. We're just, we're, com- we're, we're overflowing with it. Yeah, I am filled with I contempt. I think of a sponge that just can't take any more. Yeah. We're so filled with contempt. There's something visceral about that translation. Mm. So, so what is contempt? Contempt. See, this is the thing: is contempt is putting yourself above another. Okay. So, a lot of times, that. like if people confess uh, judgment, yeah. Oftentimes, we use we use the shorthand uh, being judgy or um, judgmental. Yeah. Right. Um, is saying I'm putting myself in, above another person. Yeah. Okay. So it says I'm more than filled with looking around and thinking everybody sucks. <laughs> yeah, which is this is our experience, right? Politically, socially, and I don't know if we've ever had as divided a country as we do right now. Right. But they are also doing it with God. Who these people? These the people, people in, the Psalm? in Psalm 123. <sighs> They're confessing that you know this is like if yeah, God would right. just listen yeah, to you're me. Right. You're right. Then, see, that's the other thing about apologetics. 
coming back to it. I was I was meeting with a group of students before the end of the school year who were doing a, a apologetics on campus. And one of the things we were talking about in conversation, we were talking about, you know, how to answer these questions and deal with these things. But but the one thing I kept stressing to them is that you know, no one, you know, we were talking about atheism and you know and 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 uh, this kind of vehement atheism that exists now that's that's contemptuous, you're right? You know, not not the pleasant agnosticism of like, well, you know, we'll have an intellectual conversation, but this violent no, absolutely not. This is wrong and bad. Very few times I think are is somebody walking into this sort of modern violent atheism just because they've intellectually come to that conclusion. I've really thought about it and I've read a lot of books and it is true to me that there cannot be a God and the church is evil. No, they think that because they've been hurt in some way, right? There's some deeper wound. Nobody has just read a bunch of books and come to the conclusion angrily. So that there is no God and the church is evil. Yeah. They've been hurt somehow. Well, cause anger that contempt is... comes from someplace that's not merely intellectual. Well, yeah, anger is the passion that's meant to help overcome perceived injustice. Yes. So, so, right. so you say this is unjust. Yes. So anger. So obviously, you say I am perceiving some level of injustice. Yes. Right. And and that's and that's the thing is like and usually it's experiential because I've experienced this injustice or I've experienced this perceived injustice. Right. You know, because my parents forced me to do this or there was this pastor who did this or, you know, what, whatever it is. Right. There's usually something personal behind that. Right. So, you know, we can give all the, again, apologetic answers that we want. But are we actually hitting on like, why are you so hurt? Where is that actually coming from? Where is this contempt from? This is so. So that's the next line in the psalm. It says, we are, so uh, have pity on us for we're more than sated with contempt. Mm. Our souls are more than sated with the mockery Mockery of the the arrogant arrogant. and with the contempt of the proud. So what happens is that we're Mm. in the dog pile. We're in the scrap heap. Mm. I think I'm better than everybody else. Mm. Everybody thinks that they're better than me. I think I'm better than God. Have mercy, Lord. I don't know how to get out of this Mm. rat race. Yeah. This, the, the, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm super spun up with all of these things. Have mercy on me, and wow. I'm gonna. And so it's so it starts out and it says, "I am your servant," and like that's the thing. It's the simple recognition of the turn of the heart to say, "Lord, you are the one who is master. You're above all." I'm gonna I'm gonna release because I'm filled with contempt, and I think that I've known what I've done forever. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to release this because I'm in the scrap heap and I can't deal with having to think that I'm better than or somebody else is better than. I just have to get out. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's like it's like Cars. It's like the first Cars movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with uh, with the female car girl who... Um, the first one? Yeah, the first one. The where Porsche? She, the the Porsche, Porsche lawyer? The Porsche lawyer. She just had to like get out of Helen the... Helen Hunt? Helen Hunt. She had to get out of the scrap Oh, heap. the rap race. The scrap race. The scrap race. No, this is good. And and the, what you're describing is described in, in a... In a um, what, how, what, how do you say it? Uh, in a... Uh, bodily way in the psalm because it talks about lifting up one's eyes, which is how you do the very thing that you're talking about, right? So there's this theme, I think, throughout the Bible of people who reject God and give into that contempt. I'm I, I thinking of there's a, sign, uh, a, a passage in the book of Daniel. There's a passage in the book of Daniel that doesn't appear in all of the Protestant translations of the Bible. Remember the story of Susanna? 
Yeah. This woman who is, is Susanna, Susanna. She was caught in this unjust situation and people are trying to, you know, accuse her of all these horrible things. And eventually Daniel steps in and speaks up for her and advocates. But it says that her accusers turned their eyes away from heaven. Mm. Her accusers turned their eyes away from heaven mm. because they want to be fed by their contempt of mm. this perceived injustice that they have to right. And they're going to throw Susanna under the bus for it. Counter that with all these different places in the Bible where people lift their eyes to heaven. Think of Stephen, right? The first martyr who, as he is kind of like Susanna, being unjustly accused of something and put to death, he doesn't have a Daniel who stands up and advocates for him, but he lifts his eyes to heaven. And he, again, has reason for contempt. These people are stoning me because I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to do the right thing. But he doesn't give in to the contempt. He lifts rather his eyes to heaven, which, which is the theme of what we do when we don't know what else to do. Yes. We lift our eyes. Which is, so it's two things. The the the, the antidote, then this will lead us, I think, into um, Second Corinthians. To, to Second Corinthians. The antidote for contempt is, is fostering fondness and admiration. I look my eyes to heaven to say, God, I, I have a, I'm fond of you and I admire you. Okay. Because isn't isn't that the exact opposite of saying I'm better than you? Yes. Is is you say I'm fond of you. I actually have good feelings. I like I'm going to remember my good feelings and I'm going to admire the good things that you've done. The admiration I like. Admiration. Admiration almost suggests that one is better than us. Right. I'm looking up to you. I, I, we talk about looking up to heroes, right, and things like that. Right. No, you're right. That's there's something to that, and that's why it says the, like the hands of the servants on their masters, saying like, "Lord, have mercy." Which actually is a great segue into Second Corinthians, and this is that uh, famous passage in Second Corinthians where Paul talks about how he is he fits exactly the stereotype of the one who is prone to contempt Absolutely. of thinking he is better than ever. I mean, Paul loves to give his resume throughout his letters. He's like, do you guys know how great I actually am? <laughs> he constantly <laughs> throws that out. I am the best of the best. I was the best teacher ever. Dude, but they, here, they stole me. They tried to kill me. You can't hold me down. Yeah, like, no, he loves pointing that out to everyone. Right. And yeah, the idea of Paul of any, the idea that God would use somebody like Paul who is prone to contempt, right. who spent much of his life trying to put himself over and above everybody else and talk, you know, put them right. in their place. And now you have Paul, all of Second Corinthians, the whole book is this reflection of Paul trying to come to terms with why he is so beat up. Because he's in a certain sense, in a, it's not the same thing, but he's feeling a lot of what the Israelites in the time of Ezekiel are feeling. God keeps rejecting us. He keeps beating us up. He keeps throwing us out. And Paul's like, I keep getting shipwrecked and beaten and thrown in prison and ignored or ridiculed or talked down about all of these things. Don't they know who I am? Mm, And he could, of anybody, could fall into this great contempt of someone. I mean, this is the guy who literally gave up everything, his job, his career, his status, his home, his wealth, everything to wander around and be an itinerant preacher which a lot of people, who a lot of people hate and throw in prison and beat up. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. If anybody has room for contempt, but he doesn't. And here we get this really interesting insight. Now, people speculate on what Paul might be talking about. I don't know. But he says, look, that I might not become too elated or puffed up, I think is the better translation there. Right. He he uses earlier in 1 Corinthians the the analogy of... uh, leaven in bread to puff up bread he's like so i don't get too puffed up uh because of the abundance of the revelations all this stuff that i've been given i've been given a lot 
a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan to beat me and from, to keep me from being too elated. He says, three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in weakness. So he's like, I had this thing basically to remind me that you are not God. You are Paul and you were being beaten down and my grace is more than sufficient for you. We don't know what that thorn in the side is. People speculate about all sorts of things it might be. But what Paul is saying is, look, I'm the kind of person who loves to rally. What's the, what's the word? Para, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, the para one. To rally, you know, to, to, to make be, bitter alongside. Make bitter alongside. These fools, these idiot Israelites who are not listening, these pagans, these Christians that Paul was putting to death. He put Stephen to death. We just talked about Stephen, right? Right. These fools. Look at how much better we are than they are. And now he's like, because the Lord knew that about me, he actually put me on the opposite side of that. Which is interesting. It's like from the very beginning, because uh, the 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 word in Ezekiel that we got earlier, mm-hmm. it says, "I am sending you to the Israelites." Is apostoleo. Yeah, apostol. Yeah, absolutely. So we so we have a uh, so we here we have the same thing. We have a prophet that's yes. sent to the nations, apostoleo, and not just sent to the nations. He's sent to the Israelites. Oh, it's the Israelites. Sorry, yeah. yeah. But 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 that but that's the twist. I mean, so Ezekiel is being Ezekiel is an Israelite. He's being sent to the Israelites, many of whom will reject him. Paul is an Israelite by blood, but he's being sent out to the new Israel that is not Israel by blood, Mm. but still apostoleoed out to Israel. They just don't look like Israel. Mm. So in a certain sense, the calling is parallel again. Yes. Which is interesting. And, and, uh, And here he is like having to... He just remain like Ezekiel, who's being warned against this. He's the the way in which God is actually helping him from the very beginning. He blinded him. Yeah, yeah. He's beat him up. He shipwrecked him in a certain sense because it it says, "When I am weak, then I am strong." He's yeah. what he's realizing is that all of these things are not they're they're an antidote to something inside of him that if everything was just going fine, he it would he would get really yeah. twisted up. Which he most likely already had been that yeah, as the guy who's overseeing everyone being put to death. Honestly, I think he, I think that like we can even see this in his relationship with Barnabas. He Definitely. gets like, he still has arguments. He stills, yeah. he stills got stuff. He's working it out. He the, still thinks he's better than everybody else, uh, he but he does. knows that about himself and he's trying to, and he's doing his very, very from. best. And the Lord yeah. is helping him in that. Right. And it's always in physical ailment is mm. is yeah. one of the huge solutions for him. Yeah. I mean, there's the physical ailment, which is real, but there's also just that reality. I mean, the, I, I can't imagine the mental, the emotional, the spiritual struggle of sitting in a prison cell, knowing that God threw you to the ground and blinded you because he wanted to wake you up to your vocation, your call to be an apostle. And you're stuck in a prison cell and you got to be like, well, wait a second. I mean, it stinks. It hurts. I've been beaten. But why am I here? And how many nights that Paul probably had to sit sleeplessly trying to figure out why is he why am I sitting here when I should be out there? Why is he allowing this to happen? Yeah, it's it's like, Lord, why won't the kids just go to sleep? Just go to sleep. I had one of those nights last night. (laughs) 
Right. And oh, you said so that I can be and I can go out there and I can do those things. Yeah, right. I mean, like that's, that's true. That, the spirit's been given to all of us. If we mm. do, if we think this is some sort of abstract thing talking it's about not. a bunch of uh, 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 other people, no, Ezekiel and Paul are telling us who we who we are in the midst of Christ. And Absolutely. So it's like in this prison cell, it's like, whoa, this is intense. So now we have the gospel, which I had some thoughts on, but the way that our conversation has gone, my thoughts are changing on it a little bit. Okay. Right. So okay. So so we have Mark chapter six, um, which is the thing I wanted to actually mention about Mark six. So Jesus departed from there. The there was a bunch of exorcisms that he's just been doing. Um, people are like, holy cow, this guy's crazy. We just came pretty recently from the whole Beelzebul thing. Remember the the whole thing of like, you, you're casting out Satans because you're working with Satan. You're casting out demons because you're working with the prince of demons. And he's like, well, this is not cool. And things are crazy, right? right. So he left all that and he comes back home. He goes to Nazareth, to the synagogue. Um, we're not told in Mark what he teaches about. We're simply told on the Sabbath he came to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished and they said, where did he get all this and what kind of wisdom had been given him and what mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Um, I I think, and no, we're not sure. I think this is the parallel to Luke chapter four where Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth and Luke actually gives us the content of what he says. Now, I don't know for sure. Maybe he could have gone multiple times back home. When he quotes Isaiah? When he quotes Isaiah and he calls for a new Jubilee year. Absolutely. So in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He reads the scroll from Isaiah. He says, um, the year of the Lord's favor is upon us. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's calling for the Old Testament Jubilee, which is a year... An Old Testament tradition that was given to us in Leviticus 25, it was never followed. It was ignored. It was actually part of the reason for the exile. But it was this idea that once God set Israel free from slavery in Egypt, when they went into the promised land and became the people he wanted them to be, they were every 50 years on the Sabbath, the seven times seven year, and then the next one as well, on the 49th and 50th year, they were to... It was a year of release, Ephesus or Deror in Hebrew is the year, but they were to release three things. The land was to be released and let fallow to rest like the Sabbath. Uh, All slaves were to be set free and all debt was to be forgiven. So land, debt, and slaves, this huge monumental thing. And which, and which the, isn't there some more detail? I mean, those are the, those are the, some more categ- detail. Those are the, the categories. Big, yeah, there's more detail to that. But for sake of time, yeah. that's the big idea. Um, I think it's clear through salvation history that they don't follow that. There's one moment in Jeremiah, it's in Jeremiah 34, where they're literally, the exile is upon them and the Babylonians are beating down the gates. And King Zedekiah, one of the last sitting kings, is like, uh, what do we do? They're like, well, let's have a jubilee year. We haven't been doing this. So maybe God will forgive us if we do a jubilee. And so they set free all the slaves and the debt. And we're told that they set free their slaves, but then they got a little bit sick of doing all their own work and cleaning their own toilets and stuff. And it says after that, they went and they took back their slaves. Which, if the whole Jubilee year is this reminder of what God did for the people in the Exodus, where he gave them the promised land, he set them free from slavery in Egypt, and he freed them from the debt to Pharaoh, then they were supposed to be that to others. And so God actually says in Jeremiah 34, it's one thing to ignore the Jubilee altogether. It's another thing to try to instate the Jubilee again, which you had ignored, and then renege, because that actually makes you Pharaoh's. It was Pharaoh who set you free from Egypt and said, "Mm -mm, I changed my mind. I'm coming to get you. And you saw what I did to Pharaoh. 
and his chariots and his did chariots. Did you say De Fairview? De Fairview. Is that what I did? De Fairview. Yes, De, De Fairview. No, De, De Fairview. Yep, man. I, and so that's what launches them into exile. Wow. So that's actually the last time until Jesus shows up in the synagogue and says, it's back. That's the last time anybody heard about the Jubilee year. And he's like, I'm reinstating a new one. And you get the idea that everyone, it says everyone spoke favorably. They're like, oh, this is really beautiful. And a Jubilee year and setting free of things. But, and you even get this sense in Mark. I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking about it in Mundelein. But he sets, he does this Jubilee year and everyone's like, oh, this is really beautiful. And then remember a couple lines later, they want to throw him off a cliff. Because yeah. you get the sense of like, oh, that's really cool. But then they, it starts to sit in, sink in. And they're like, wait, what did he say? Like that, did he say he's going to instate a Jubilee year, which only the king does? And then they're like, well, wait a second, we don't have land because it's controlled by Rome. How can you set free land that we don't have? And we're slaves to the Roman Empire and we're indebted to Caesar in a profound way. So how can you give away land, debt and slaves when we don't actually possess any of that stuff? And they begin to think about this. And they're like, who do you think you are? And they begin that contempt, right? And that's what you see in Mark. They're like, that sounds really beautiful. But the more we think about it, who are you? to try to claim that these things are true. Who right. are you to try to claim you have insight into what God is doing? We know you. You're the carpenter's son. We went to Fairview with you. We, we know, you know. Yeah. That I went to Fairview. But it's this, <laughs> but then the contempt begins to build. And then you, you can watch the scene of exactly what you said, the being bitter alongside of. Yes. And they begin to talk to one another. Did you hear what he said? Yeah. What did you think about that? Yeah, that kind of ticked me off too. And they begin to rally around to the point, at least in Luke, where they want to throw him off a cliff. Absolutely. Because that's where that para, you know, parallel bitterness, the bitterness alongside of people can actually lead to the point where we want to kill you because we hate you so much, which I think we underestimate in our society and politics and whatever, what our hatred for one another actually can lead to. And this is what Paul is reminding us to of. He's like, look at me. I set a bunch of Christians to death because I got so angry because that's what hatred actually does. And once the evil one can get control of those emotions mm. and get in the middle of those conversations, then he begins to win and have victory. And now these people, because of their bitterness rallying around each other and their refusal to acknowledge that this man might be actually speaking truth about the kingdom of God, like Ezekiel was. We want to kill him because that's how much we hate this hope that he's trying to provide to us. Mm. And I don't, I don't know quite what to do from there, I but mean, there's something, there's something to that. No, dude, that's like, that's really, this is, this is really powerful. I mean, so, I mean, I just think, okay, you know, fondness and admiration. Mm. So it, it's uh, it, rather than familiarity <clears throat> and superiority. Oh, that's good. I, I, I okay. I, I get your juxtaposition now. Because, because here they are, and they're in this place, and they, they, they're like, oh, we know this guy. I right. know you. What do you think this is? But then you, you even get the sense that it kind of snowballs beyond that. Like, well, I don't know him, but that guy knows him. You're like, and, and he says that he's just a carpenter's kid. Well, and that guy knows a guy who knows him. And yeah, I'm going to believe them. And you can, we got all the, the cousins. Early social media is now beginning, and they're like, well, I know a guy who knew a guy who knew that. And they talked about this. So, yeah, totally. I'm going I'm to rally behind that. And no one's taking any time to discern the truth of the matter and to say, wait a second, what is real here? Which is, I'm not trying to get, uh, where's the soapbox? Where's the moral to this? You know what I mean? Yeah. We have, again, because we misuse things like apologetics and we've been taught by the media and whoever else, even to use true things against each other, we have not 
been trained, we've not learned how to actually discern where the good is. Mm. Where is the good, the true, and the beautiful? We don't know how to discern those things anymore because we get so engrossed in the becoming bitter alongside the, of. The scrap heap, man. The scrap heap. Where you say, I'm going to solve your contempt of me, and they're going to say, I'm going to solve your contempt of me. Absolutely. And now everybody's in this power game. And God's like, remember me. Right. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt, how right. I wooed you in the desert, how I, I spoke tenderly to you and clothed you. and. Yeah. And, and so in a sense, that's why like, I, I find myself always saying, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Right. You don't have to add everything else. You just say, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to remember the good things that you've done. I'm, that's why I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to read the pattern of the divine life and, and, and go there and, and, and remember and continue to remember and be fond of it and thankful for it. And, you know, they, they, that's what they always say, you know, you start praying Thanksgiving, the, the, the path of the spiritual life between, you know, purification and illumination Mm -hmm. is praise. If you want to understand, you have to go back and remember fondness and have admiration Yes, and and that goes both for broken relationships with mm. each each other and the, and our broken relationship with God. Yes, and and that's where like we we must end our polemics yep. and begin actually speaking with each other and get off our phones and 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 not just try to win and one up. Right. Because if if we're just if, as long as we remain in one up, then we just remain in this pattern of power and contempt. Right. And uh, and and you know, uh, bull is gonna pull me out of court, man. And I'm just not in bull. Well played, yeah, Father I Peter. To, I do not want to be held in contempt of court night, with bull. Night court, dude. Boom. But just to put a fine point on it, and to end on a very negative note, <laughs> because this has kind of been a dark podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is. What Jesus says at the end of this read, because this is where the reading ends. We're left with this from the church. He says, you know, this classic line: "A prophet is without honor in his own. A prophet is not without honor except in his native place and among his own kin and his own house." So he was not able to perform any mighty deeds there, apart from curing a few sick people <laughs> and laying hands on them. He was amazed by their lack of faith. But the fruit of the contemptuousness, the fruit of the gathered around bitterness, the pridefulness, all these things, is that there were no miracles worked among them. Mm-hmm. And there's something to that in our profoundly over-secularized world. <sighs> Dude, but we I need to I we need to make sure that we have the technical idea of a miracle. Miracle Yeah, 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 no, for sure. Is miracle is not some Don't get sort me of wrong interruption, here. but it's a super cooperation with the nature. Right. Right. So it's right. it's it's right. A, a mighty deed. It's saying that I'm going to take this nature and I will perfect perfect it in an anticipated anticipated way yeah. in a in a realized eschatology. What, what was our inaugurated name? inaugurated eschatological way. But it's this idea that Jesus is not. So, yeah, miracle, I don't mean, you know, the sun's going to begin to spin around. You know, I mean, that happens, but that's not what you're right. That's not what we're talking about here. But God's not going to. God's not going to work with a soul that refuses to cooperate with him. Right. He's just a gentleman. He's not going to force us to love him and he's not going to manifest his grace in really profound ways with the people who just outright reject that grace. Right. And that's an important point to kind of keep in mind, you know, and if you, if you look at the people in Nazareth and you're like, oh man, you guys are taking this too far. Well, it's just a couple of years later that he's on a cross. Right. So, I mean, we see where this mindset actually leads. The God of the universe. I mean, we want, we want to say we're the kind of people who will 
well, surely we would recognize a prophet if he came among us, right? Surely we would recognize God if, his, if he was at work among us, right? We, surely we have eyes to see. And we forget just, I mean, these are the people that literally grew up with Jesus. They knew him and they're still blind to him. Yeah. And so we have to, I think, I think, if nothing else, we have to pray constantly for the grace. And what do we do? It's like the psalmist says, we lift our eyes to heaven, which takes our eyes away from the, the parallel, right? The, the, um, the para- what's the, the horizon, vertical, horizontal. The parallel means next to, right? So as long as we are focused on what's next to us, which oftentimes is contempt and bitterness, and really the psalm is giving us the antidote for the bitterness alongside of. Right. Because there's bitterness alongside of us, but if we look up toward heaven, right. then we will be able to discern the truth. As long as we keep our eyes surface level and looking at what's you know on the ground with us, then yeah, we're not going to actually be able to discern the truth. But when we begin to look up toward heaven, like the psalmist says, not that everything's going to be super and nice and happy and rainbows and butterflies, but like Paul, we'll say, oh, no, I see the truth despite my own suffering. Mm. And I can see beyond my suffering and beyond my temptations toward contempt because I see what the truth actually is. Mm. And I can live in the world accordingly. Mm. And then the world doesn't scare me because I think the world scares most of us. So that's what mm. I got. Oh, Do you know what I say to that? What do you say, Father Peter? Let's go fly a kite up, up to, to the, the highest height. height. Let's. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, you know, I think that um, that's why I like our podcast. It's mm, a good one. Is because we, um, we are just trying to remember mm. who we are and be fond of this great inheritance we've received. So. Indeed. Thanks for listening to it with us. And um, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys, at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.